Welcome back to the Hoopsville Marathon Show as we continue to roll along. Got a couple of tweet responses already to some segments. Greg Mason, the head coach at Center, talking about the Slapping Glass podcast. Says it's the best basketball podcast going right now. Incredible content. I mean, second best basketball podcast, I think is what he meant. I think I think that's what he meant. Second best. Yeah, maybe he meant best. We'll see. Uh, Jay Cozen says, uh, breath of fresh air to have the marathon back. Well, I'm not getting much fresh air in here, but I'm glad you are. Um, maybe you can, maybe, uh, we get back to having a few of the guys in your studio for the first playoff weekend and maybe back to Vegas at the end of 2022. Well, we were back in Vegas, so that's the good news. We were there. 19 teams got whittled down to nine, which is more manageable, but no, it would be nice to do the whip around again. Right. If you don't think that hasn't been in front of my mind for a while, you're crazy. I wouldn't be surprised if if I don't have to be somewhere else for work. That doesn't maybe make an appearance on the opening weekend. All right, we're going to switch gears. If you have questions, by the way, you can always tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. You can join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're live simulcasting the show. Also simulcasting the show on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Hoopsville. Switching gears, spinning off of the article. Well, really spinning off of a conversation that Jason Harris and I had at Mass Boston. Uh, about the coaches, cla- uh, the Black Coaches Classic. Ryan Scott wrote an intriguing article about that same topic. And as I had said when he was writing that article, I wanted to do something on the marathon. 90, uh, 30 minutes probably isn't enough time to talk about minority coaching in Division Three or the lack thereof, but we're going to do our best. I stole a little bit from Ryan uh, with some of our guests, but uh, the others at the same time certainly uh, are obvious choices. I just realized our setup for this is a little botched, but I'm going to bring them on and then we'll fix it as as we go along here. Uh, I didn't line this up as well as I should have, but joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline are head coaches from LaRoche Women's Basketball, Mass Boston Men's Basketball, MIT Men's Basketball, and Stevenson Men's Basketball. Gentlemen and ma'am, thanks for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. I know it's a, a, a topic dear to you guys all, especially uh, and I'm looking forward to, to learning more from all of you. I, I'm kind of curious as I resize the screen here for everybody. Um, how, how are things from your perspective in a general sense? Uh, we should point out um, up in the upper left is Jason Harris from Mass Boston, by the way. Gary Stewart's in the upper center. Uh, Larry Anderson's in the upper right and Coach Cam. Coach, I'm not going to try and butcher your last name because it's just not fair to you. I'll let you uh, set me straight. She's sitting next to me. Uh, as well. Uh, again, thanks for your time. But uh, Jason, let me start with you. Your perspective on all of this from a coach's perspective, kind of following up what we talked about at a previous time. I think it's improving. I think it's encouraging. Well, first, Dave, uh, I'll echo what Larry had mentioned. We'd like to thank you and thank Ryan and thank everybody that's shining a spotlight on this topic. Um, but I think it's improving, right? I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic. We're heading in the right direction. I think it's also something that we're reminded of daily when, you know, like we turn on ESPN and we see the Brian Flores thing. So it's not something that just happens in college basketball. It's not something that just happens in on the men's side. Um, It's something that we're reminded of daily. Um, So we really appreciate you taking the time to shine the light on this, like I said, but I think we're all optimistic that it's going to continue to improve. I think uh, hiring numbers were up last year. I think, Some of the positions that were filled, like we mentioned last time, are really high academic and really high integrity and um, really high profile jobs. And they were they were filled by men that were great coaches first. And then that happened to be men of color second. 
Uh, Larry, I, I jumped to you just because I want to get Gary and then I want to come to Coach Cam because there's a different angle from her perspective. But Coach Anderson, your your perspective because you're one of the longest tenured uh, coaches that I know of, certainly, um, in this in this realm. You're saying you're saying one of the oldest. You just you're being nice about that, aren't you? Sure. <laughs> but look, you what you don't know, Dave, I, I started when I was five. So. <laughs> wow, impressive. So uh, not quite as old as you think I am. <laughs> So um, I, I echo what Jason shared with us earlier. I, I think it's improving, and I, I think um, um, the, the spotlight is being shedded on this right now, but that we still got a long way to go uh, in, in that regard. It's not just, you know, bringing aboard diversity is, is the kind of environments that we need to create on our campus so people feel like they belong. Um, and not and this, you know, I think when most people look at um, – you know, the black coaches being hired, they, they look at it and say, well, we're going to, it's, it's important that, um, you know, people of color see um, people of color in these kinds of positions, but this is about humanity. And it's important that everybody see, um, you know, people of color in these kinds of positions because they, they, they are few and far between it, especially at the division three level. And so uh, I'm pleased with the progress, but we still got a long way to go. And, and when I think about this, I, I, this whole thing, there's something called surface equity, my own um, thoughts on this, but then there's something called deep equity. And I also think that for me, for a long time, when I was younger, I, I used to get equity and equality mixed up uh, with that piece. And I think that's important that we, we begin to talk about those two pieces as we move forward here and, and have people understand you know, what that means. That's an interesting way of putting that. Yeah, I think you've said that to me too. It's certainly changed my perspective. Uh, Gary, you're also a member of the NABC board, so you certainly have a more overarching perspective on this entire topic. Yeah, Dave, thanks for having me. And I echo uh, Jason and Larry's sentiments on uh, the importance of this and, and uh, very appreciative of you and Ryan to uh, carve out some time to, to speak on this topic. Uh, I think it is improving, um, but much uh, to Larry's point, um, when I first got into this, I too uh, got equity and equality mixed up. And, uh, and I spent probably uh, 20 years in that space uh, until I, I myself started to understand uh, and, and, and really grasp the, the, uh, the entire topic. And, um, we, we've got a lot of work, Dave. We've got a, uh, a lot of work to do. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that we are making some inroads, uh, you know, I'm excited, uh, uh not only of the, the people that, uh, are in the applicant pools now, but the people that actually, uh, get opportunities and then what they do with their opportunities. We, we have some really, really qualified people in these positions and, and it's exciting. And, and, uh, it, it should be a, a diverse landscape uh, and always. And, uh, and I'm hopeful that uh, we continue to make inroads in that area. Then uh, we also have for, uh, on the women's side, Coach Cam Gissendonner. Coach? Close. That was super close. It's Gissendonner. Damn it. See, I had a 50-50 chance at it. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I've been doing, going through this for 36 years. No worries. Yeah, I can imagine. Listen, 
not only are you a minor, not, not listen, but obviously you're a minority coach. You're also on the women's side. I'll admit one of the things I was trying to do with this panel was get a little bit of evenness on men and women. And when I started going through the women's ranks and finding African-American coaches, there's a double-edged sword here because yes, there's minorities being hired, but a lot of them are men. So there, there's almost a double situation here you know, from your perspective because I really wanted the female minority perspective. And I hate to say it, I kind of leaned on you. Can right. you give us Isn't your that, perspective? Yeah, it's crazy. I think I have a super unique perspective because in the nine years that I've been a head college coach, literally I've only seen two other people that have looked like me and they were both male. So in my whole nine year tenure here, looking across the, you know, the other set of bleachers, it's just like, where are we? And I'm it right now, at least, you know, in this region, in this area, um, even going into the NCAA tournament, you would think you would see a little bit more diversity, but you don't like it. It is absolutely crazy. Um, but like, you know, my guys were saying it's getting better. I don't see much change on the women's side. Um, and that's, you know, I think that calls like this, um, podcasts and just different talks can, you know, get the word and get the word out and spread it. Like we need, first of all, we need minorities in these positions anyway, because a lot of our student athletes are minorities, but then, you know, get some just to me, it's just like, you know, we're talking about color, 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 but get quality people who can give these student athletes, you know, an elite experience. Um, Cause we want them to be elite, but give like, I don't, we don't want to just be given jobs, you know, just because we're minorities. We want to be given jobs because yeah, we're minorities, but we know our stuff. Um, so that's something that I've been, you know, trying to spread the word out and to my colleagues on this end. Well, and it brings up an interesting point of view because uh, I think Jason said it on my show. I know I read it in the article, I think, from Jason, and, I, and it was brought up in another perspective as well. First off, a lot of student athletes, as you point out, are minorities, and you're, you're coaching them, but so are others. Giving those student athletes the vision that they can become a coach is got to be important among a lot of things. And Coach Cam, on top of that, as you said, it's also women telling them they can be coaches and to be not hired. And this is probably a follow-up we'll get to in later, not hired just because you might be able to recruit African-Americans or some other minorities. I'm curious, coach Cam, I'll start with you to kind of go in reverse order. Which of those do you think is the most important, you know, most difficult is, is it trying to shine a light on, for student athletes that they can be coaches too as minorities or the, to keep the hires from just being a help us out thing? Right. Um, I, I tell my girls day in, day out, like, know your stuff, know exactly what you're talking about, be enthusiastic about what you bring to the table. And most importantly, be you, you know what I mean? So what you can't help if you're born a minority, born a woman, like none of that, you know what I mean? But you can um, control you know, how you are presented to people. So I tell them that presentation is everything. First impressions are everything. Just be good people first and foremost. And I think, you know, that those opportunities will come. Um, but yeah, it is definitely, it's, it's a struggle. I tell you that, but I take my job so seriously about being a role model to these girls because they're like, okay, I see coach Cam, she's doing it and she's successful. Maybe I can do it too. So we don't play that around here. 
Coach Jason, you're the one who kind of put that idea in my head a little bit of the A, hired because they can recruit African-Americans and we need them on our campus, and B, um, being role models for future coaches. I'm curious if you could go a little bit more in depth on, on those larger thoughts. Yeah, well, I think, uh, like Coach Cam said, um, it's big to just stress you can kind of control the two things, your attitude and your effort. So you're always kind of walking into a room and representing yourself and your program like that. Um, it, the, the notion of high, you know, being hired to, to attract uh, black student athletes, that's not maybe necessarily as much at our level um, as it would be at a, you know, in the power five level sure, where, where that kind of comes into play more. Uh, so I think here, I think it's, I don't, I don't think that we are making an honest push to recruit African-Americans or white students or rich students, or I think we're trying to get quality student athletes, quality men, right. That, you know, that can also play in the little East conference that can play against coach Anderson and coach Stewart, and they can hold their own. Um, so I, it's like, it's slippery, right? I don't, I don't want to say that, you know, Hey, you can't be a coach because you're black. And I can't, I don't want to say like, Hey, you, you, you'll definitely get this job because you're black and they need a black assistant because they just lost the black assistant, you know? So it's something where you got to be prepared. Um, and sometimes it might go in your favor. Coach Anderson, you obviously around MIT and the new England where that landscape has changed a lot in the last two years in terms of coaching. And we'll get to coach Jason's idea of the, of the black coaches um, event. But from your perspective, are coaches being in division three and to Jason's point, coaches being hired because they're good coaches and are coaches being missed because maybe they, it's not being appreciated what they can bring to the, to the equation. How much time do I have? Oh, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, take all the time you need is a risky way of saying it, but go for it. Okay. Um, they're, they're good coaches, you know, all, all around the world. You know, I'll, I'll say that first of all, and it, it's amazing to me. Um, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. When I first got the job here at MIT, um, many of my, my friends and colleagues asked me, Hey, Larry, how did you, how did you get that job? You know, and that was a great question. And, you know, I'm sure some of them, really wanted to know how I got the job. They said, actually asked me, how did I get to MIT? And I said, I had a 1987 Honda Accord DX and I drove it all the way from Holland Springs, Mississippi to MIT. And that was the truth. Yeah. I said, no, 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 that, that's not what I meant. I knew exactly what they meant. Um, and, but I, on one hand, you, you take a look at it and they, many people might think that, hey, um, Larry, might've gotten his job, you know, just because he's an African-American person and he wasn't qualified to get, to, to get that job. But we were, I, I think the lens, I always think about it through frames and lenses and how we look at things. What we're used to seeing, we might say, hey, look, I'm gonna go and recruit um, a UMass Boston kid or a LaRoche kid or a Stevenson kid what does that mean? Is that somebody like you already got it? They look just like the ones that are already there. And what does that mean? Is that a diverse um, person that you're looking for? Or is it the same kind of people that we already have? If you look around over the years, it's been the same kind of people who were, we're recruiting or who we're hiring over the years, because it's easy to sit across from the table and say, look, 
one of the questions in an interview might come up as to what do you like to do in your spare time? And so what we end up doing, it became becomes organic for us where we, we have a tendency to share with people what they want to hear, as opposed to being in a position to bring our entire selves to the table, because that won't resonate with people that you're interviewing with sometimes. So if somebody say, what are you doing in your spare time? I want to say, hey, look, I like playing football and basketball. But somebody else might say, look, I like reading. Uh, I like hiking. And that might resonate with somebody that's on the other side of the table um, or those kinds of things. So I ask myself the question, then what are the kind of questions we ask and who sat around the table to come up with those questions and get at who's qualified or not qualified, but who might be the right match, whatever that definition is. And so when you take a look at many resumes, people will, will begin to look on the surface of who got the job as opposed to what their background really is and a background that resonates with them. So where I might've gone to volunteer to do um, farming and to help the family, you know, make ends meet where another person's family might've say, look, let me get some money here and let me help you collect some shoes. I'm going to take you to Honduras and pass those shoes out to people. Well, I did that myself. My qualifications and what I have would be worth more in that regard because I, I generated those opportunities, but they don't resonate with everybody. So when we get jobs, those things outside of basketball, it looked like that with basketball too, because I look at the things that assistants do, uh, minority assistants do uh, in their roles. And I look at what other people bring to the table. My friends in the profession are, well, that's what you did and that's what you did. Seem like the other person have equal or just as good a resume in that regard, but we don't see that sometimes just because of the look and what we have on the surface. And so the kinds of questions that we come up with to get at uh, who that person really is. And you got to really have a growth mindset, uh, you know, in this regard and looking for somebody, they said, well, I took a chance on, on this person. I, I don't, you know, that same using that uh, language, um, you know, that's not taking a chance. You got somebody who's here right now. If we can open our minds up and listen. So I think if we can begin to do those things, look at the kind of questions that we're asking, look at the kind of work they're doing and, and try to resonate with those things, their backgrounds and see, you know, what their resumes look like. And I think the basketball piece is really simple because it, at least in this sport, um, where I come from, we play basketball because we, that's an easy thing to do. One basketball can, you know, provide opportunities for everybody to play. You just got to be able to stay on the court to play. Uh, but golf, we couldn't do that growing up because we didn't have the resource to do that. So having the, the growth mindset and taking a look and see if we have the, the, the um, a worldview on what a candidate should look like, um, not only for our student athletes, but for administrators and those who serve on these hiring and promotions committees. Uh, Gary, I'll, I'll just kind of give you the floor. Anything to follow up on, on what these coaches have said so far? Yeah, I think it's a uh, value-based proposition. And um, I talk to our student athletes all the time. Um, obviously, you have to gain the wisdom. You have to gain the knowledge to be able to do the job. Um, and uh, coaching collegiately or coaching in the high school ranks or junior college ranks it requires uh, – uh, your ability to manage people. And, uh, you know, there's so many other 
uh, attributes that go into being an effective head coach. Uh, if Jason, uh, Cam, and, and Larry have mentioned those, uh, some of those, but uh, for for uh, for me, Dave, I, I think uh, you know, going off on a di- different tangent and looking at the the uh, the ability to go from a viable applicant to actually getting a job. Um, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. And, uh, I, I, uh, partnered with a couple of guys that are the division three level that how can we get more people in the pool? Secondly, how can we get more qualified people to the table? Uh, um, so that, uh, not only that they are a viable candidate, but once they are named a head coach, are they able to, to, uh, uh be effective and, and keep their job? So, I think there's a lot of things uh, here, um, a lot of different directions, but I think the most important thing uh, for me, just my own personal perspective, is that not to just kind of react and be in a reactionary position uh, to the things that are happening, but to get proactive in the process and say, how can I, how can I really make change? Uh, and, uh, and, and that kind of starts off with, with your original question about um, how is it now versus how has it been in yesteryear? Um, we, we have to have more people that are impactful that are uh, affecting change to, to really move the, the needle. Um, I could go in a bunch of different directions. I, I don't know where to take it next necessarily, but I, I do want to ask what I think is a tough question in terms of, of a tough reality. And that is, you know, you hear in the real world sometimes of having to fit the norms, um, to meld yourself into what you aren't necessarily to get opportunities. And, and I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but is there still a concern or is there still a process, consciously or unconsciously, that when coaches of minority descent go for a job, they have to fit, and granted, all coaches have to try and sell themselves, but also fit where they're they're applying, but even more so fit and and become more the norm, as it were, than to be themselves as applicants. If does that make sense? And and and, and Coach Cam, I'll start with you just because we haven't heard from you, and then I, I want to go to Larry because I see him his head nodding. Do you worry that that's out there as well, and that hurts applicants' opportunities because they're not being themselves? Right. Um... That's that's a great point. Um, I, I definitely think that, you know, for the most part, we first and foremost, you just want to make sure you're a fierce competitor, um, whether minority or not, woman or not. We want to be fierce competitors in this in this profession. Um, so if you're not that, then I say don't even apply, because at this point, you know, I want to shake up any room that I go into um, being normal or being, you know, put in this little box at this point is not even um, an option for me in any job that I do. Um, so, you know, I think that sometimes even me as a black female, we have a tendency to be known as like, you know, we're a little bit angry. We have an attitude. I'm just being honest with this perspective right now. People mm-hmm. don't want to hear this, but this is what I hear on a daily basis. And these are some things that I tell my girls every day you know, this is how we are looked at. So of course, you know, we're told to be professional, not speak up, not, you know, have a voice in, you know, what's going on. And I think that that is a little bit intimidating um, 
you know, to some of these search committees when they see people like us and, you know, somebody like me, I have a colorful personality. Um, but at the same time, I was raised the right way and, you know, I know how to act and I know how to um, be a chameleon in whatever room I go into, you know what I mean? So it is definitely hard, um, you know, to try to be yourself, but at the same time, show to show what you have. And I think that, you know, being authentically you is going to get you in those rooms um, anyway. You know what I mean? So we need to stop that. Like, oh, she's too colorful. Oh, she's too, um, you know, her personality is loud. Be you, because I think that'll give you even more um, opportunities and chances because you will be surprised how many people would rather that than somebody who's, you know, quiet, somebody who just is a yes ma'am or yes, you know, whatever. Um, we need more people to be colorful. So I encourage people, like, you know, what you were saying, I encourage people to just be you. Um, that's what I try to do every single day. I don't know a lot of coaches who aren't loud on the sidelines. So, I mean, it's fine, Listen, right? It's like the refs that look at me because they're like, you know, they're oh, we don't see people like her, but I know my stuff. So they look at me and they're like, we don't want her talking to us like that. So, you know, you got to know when to go, when yeah. to fold on, all that kind of stuff. But those are things you learn um, along the years, you know. That's a whole other element of it. That, that Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jason, I saw you raise your finger, but let me get Coach Larry first real quick. Your thoughts on that idea. Well, that, that, that's what I was trying to share in the beginning. It's, it's um, I think, the education piece. For all of us, especially those who have a seat at the table, understand um, how important diversity at that table is and, and what we look for uh, in a candidate. Do I, I know I, I don't know if I, I don't want our point guards, I want some power forwards, you know, some um, wing guards and somebody who can rebound, just somebody who can shoot it and put it in a hole. So you, you, you mix it up and, and, and you have that diverse pool. And I, I think those same people at the table who are making those decisions need to have a, a broad perspective and an open mind about, um, you know, what's needed, not, not just for right now, but um, if we're going to be a world-class institution, you have to be good people first, but you also have to have that, that broad perspective and bringing in a diverse group of people so we can provide those opportunities for people to learn from that there's more than one way to do things or there's more than one way to coach and I think that starts with, with people who are making those decisions um, and um, educating themselves and getting outside of their comfort zone and, and looking for a particular candidate. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, the hiring of minority coaches here. I, I think that in my experience, you know, in higher education, not just here, but at, at Russ College too, um, it, it's easy to... Um, um, find those people within your circle, but uh, but a lot of people, you know, think about the equity piece of that. How do how do you, you know, end up hiring somebody who's who's um, don't think the same way, uh, don't have the same come from the same culture, who uh, might act a little different, and listen to a little different music than you, and 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 see their value, their their world class value, and and have an opportunity to be put in one of these positions. So I, I echo what um, you know Cam is saying and what Jason and, and, and Gary said in, in that regard. Jason, I saw you react to the chameleon comment. Uh, yeah, I, I think you called on me. What, what uh, Coach Cam was describing there was code switching, 
right? Code switching and, and what you're talking about is going into a room and not being yourself because you're what you think they want to see. But my advice would be to, is to be yourself. Uh, they've been code, you know, we've been code switching our whole life. So I wouldn't be concerned about that. But uh, like Coach Stewart said, uh, when you get the job being prepared, right? So you can sustain your success. And that's really the best thing to pave the way because uh, Coach Larry, Coach Stewart, uh, Coach Cam, like, their success is what kind of paved the way. Coach Larry being so successful for so long at MIT, they may have thought he got the job because he was black, but they know now that's not why he has the job, right? And that's probably the same with Coach Stewart um, and Coach Cam as well. So being prepared and doing it your way because when it's over, um, it's over. And so don't do it somebody else's way. You do it your way. And that way, if it doesn't work, all right, then at least you know that you did it your way. Uh, Coach Gary, I don't know if you have anything to follow up on that, but my one question for you being an NABC board member, and I know you don't speak for the WBCA, but how much do those organizations or how much can those organizations help try and move the needle, as it were? Well, uh, the first part, um, just to complete this this last question, yeah. that Dick, um, uh, Cam, Jason, Larry, and I uh, – take from a lot of different areas and a lot of different people. Um, and, and there's a lot of different ways that we will approach a ball screen. And, and Jason might, depending on who's involved in it, he might go underneath, I might switch it, uh, Cam might down it or ice it, and, and Larry might hedge it and go, go over the top. Um, and, and the four of us will debate that. And, and, uh, and I might come around to one of their uh, concepts in regards to, to how I'm going to approach that. But the implementation of it has to be authentic. Um, I cannot be Larry or Jason or Cam. I have to be myself because it's not sustainable. I, I can't live as Cam for 40 years in this business and think I'm going to be successful. I can't be Jason or, or Larry. And so early on, uh, I think there's a natural thing to assimilate with, with the group that you're at the table with. Uh, but uh, the sooner that you learn that, that uh, you're okay and, and your value system uh, is important and how you approach it from a day-to-day -day standpoint is critical to the overall approach of the department, to your program, to the community. Um, I, I think that's the beauty of it. it. It's very much like dating, Dave. I, I don't think you can you can show up in something and have a costume on, but, but sooner or later, she's going to figure that out and you're not going to be able to, to sustain that. And so uh, authenticity, authenticity is, is critical. Um, and then second point, I don't want to be long winded here, but to the second uh, piece of that question, uh, the NABC and the WBCA uh, are working tirelessly to, uh, address this issue. I, I'm part of the Racial Reconciliation Committee for the NABC, and, and we meet regularly uh, and uh, have really robust conversations uh, and, and really uh, take it from a position of, of how can we affect change and what does that look like? And, and there's a variety of different topics that we can take and, and really um, uh, screw down to, uh, to the bare essence of, of do you go left or do you go right? And, and, and how does that look? And, and what is our objective? But, uh, but those conversations are taking place and, and they are, um, 
also leading to effective programming uh, and um, also leading to uh, an understanding, Dave, of we've got a long way to go. Um, and they're tough topics and they're tough, tough challenges, but uh, we're not backing away from those things. Uh, we're, we're embracing them and um, slowly making inroads. Um, I know I've taken a bunch of your time. I got two th- questions I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit, if you don't mind. And I wanted to finish, Jason, with your Black Coaches Classic and get everybody's reaction to that. But I want to start with where you guys are located. Um, Coach Cam, you're in LaRoche, you know, western part of Pennsylvania, eastern Ohio region. Um, uh, Coach Jason, Coach Larry, you're in Boston at two very different institutions. Checkered is one person on Twitter put it checkered history in Boston when it comes to African-Americans. Uh, Coach Gary, you're in the Baltimore area. That's an, a little bit more of an interesting dynamic, I think, considering Baltimore's history, but also the fact that you're at an institution that's trying to uh, open doors, as it were, at least from my perspective. I'd love to get your just all your takes on your locations and how it's impacted you as a coach slash what you're doing as a job, because I think it, you all come from different perspectives that is kind of unique and and uh coach gary we'll start with you just because i let you hang for the last one <laughs> i think dave um you learned uh, very quickly that uh brick and mortar is nice but people matter and uh the beauty of our profession is that all of us are looking for a collective group of people that can uh uh, play at the top of our conference, that represent our, our institutions in, in first-class manner, um, that uh, uh, pursue education vigorously uh, and have a, a tremendous value system. So um, where we pick and choose and, and are able to recruit those students to our various universities, um, we're very fortunate. Uh, I. I can go into a gym and it looks very distinctively different than another gym. Um, I'm, I'm centrally located uh, so I can get into DC, Pennsylvania. Uh, obviously uh, we start with Maryland, uh, but uh, I can go a lot of different places, New York, New Jersey to, to get a student athlete. And, uh, and, and that's, that's one of the real draws to my, my institution. Um, and, and in that uh, I'm, within three or four hours in some of the most affluent areas in, in the world. And I'm also in some of the, the more challenged economic areas in the world. So um, uh, I, I'm just really, really fortunate, Dave, Dave. I don't know if I'm answering your question yet, but I'm, I'm really fortunate to be able to be um, in this location. Um, you know, we've got a world-class institution in Baltimore. Um, uh, we are uh, not going to take a backseat uh, to any institution uh, from an educational standpoint in terms of uh, things that we deliver here at Stevenson. So um, we, we draw from, uh, from a wide net and uh, obviously benefit the institution benefits from it. Uh, it's a diverse net. Uh, the, uh, the populace that we serve is, 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 uh, meaningful, impactful, and we're fortunate uh, where we are. No knock on Stevenson. MIT's got this building that twice a year the sun lines up with the hallway. I'm just saying <laughs> slightly different, but okay, to your point. We'll get to Coach Larry in a minute. I want to go to Coach Cam, not keep uh, her waiting. I, I, will tell you, I will tell you this, that there, there's been uh, 
many a day that Larry and I have sat with each other uh, for a second, and then we depart uh, to go to different gyms. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to win the same trophy, but but we might be in different gyms. Uh, That's true. Yeah, yeah. Coach Kim, you're, you're located in an interesting part of the country. I'm curious, your your the landscape and the perspective from your your position. Yeah, I, I think Pittsburgh is decently diverse. It's not the best. It's not the worst, but, you know, it's it's decent. But <laughs> I will tell you that I make an intentional effort to make sure my team is colorful, if that makes sense. Um, I don't want all the same people from all the same area. I want to give my kids the most diverse experience possible. Now, are we 90% minority yes absolutely um but we have you know kids that come from affluent backgrounds kids that you know struggle financially we we have kids from all different um perspectives but i make it an intentional um act to get those kind of kids from everywhere but also on the back end you think in the back of my mind i don't know that i'm helping to diversify diversify laroche university as a university you know what i mean itself we us and a men's basketball team we really help our university when it comes to that um i look at the other sidelines other teams and we are by far in this area that one of the most colorful teams i hope i'm saying that like in the most tasteful way possible but um we we just we play against a lot of white teams white teams they might have maybe one black kid maybe two but in this area that is what we see um but like I said I just make it my intent to make sure that we look like that to make sure we're not all the same um that's just my job and my duty so makes sense coach Larry your your quick thoughts at at an institution that we've already determined due to the building is better than Stevenson (laughs) okay Right, like like all institutions in power learning, you know, people always, uh, prospective student athletes always ask, hey, what are, what are you looking for in a, in a, you know, in a prospective student athlete? And I would say we're looking for straight A students, straight A basketball players, and more important than that, straight A people. But I think all institutions are, are doing that, and that's that means, you know, they're going to be a member of my family. You want to be able to say, I want to be able to name drop with the kind of student athletes I, I, I get here. And, and not just them represent us well, but we represent them well. Um, they're, they're, they're start as your, your customers and you're trying to recruit your customers. Then you want to bring them in and say, okay, when they get here, do they feel like they belong? Can we, yeah, I think about two things. Um, what, what do you find first? Do they find their people first or do you find their purpose? So they all know they want to get a great education. We can offer that. Um, we can offer an opportunity to play um, high level basketball, um, and then uh, have an opportunity to go out in the world and impact it, you know, from not just from an economical standpoint, but more important than that, the humanity standpoint. So we can cast a really, really wide net. And we have to because there's no pipeline. As Gary talked about in our conversation that we've had on the road out there recruiting, we might be in a different gym. Um, I have a chance to recruit less than 1% of all the student athletes in the whole world. When you say that, that sounds like a, a small number. But when you think about 1% over the whole world, that's a lot. And so, but, but finding that right student who, um, who want this kind of education and want this kind of environment here in Boston, because it, it, it um, it's one that's, that's diverse here too, because there's a college campus on every corner. There's a hospital on every corner. There's a church on every corner. So one, one thing about being here, um, you're never going to thirst for an intellectual conversation. Um, <laughs> 
and you're going to find some good food. All the restaurants are good here too. That's so, um, you know, ha- have, having that, that that's a real plus, um, but we still got a, a ways to go in terms of, um, um, you know, diversifying and, and being much more equitable and, and creating an inclusive environment on our way to belonging. Um, Coach Jason, quickly, your your perspective, uh, if you don't mind. I know it's slightly different, though, in the same city as Larry's. Yeah, um, I'm going to take a little offense to you talking about Boston's checkered checkered pass. Oh, that was a quote from someone else. Boston, Boston's located in the U.S., which means it's got a checkered history with racism. Fair, just just like every other state. Yeah, good Um, point. No no more racist, no less racist than anywhere else. It's a good point. Um, What what I would say is that uh, you know we're a public research institution. Uh, We're majority minority. Um, You know we're we're affordable. It's a great great academic place. Um, again, it's much different than Larry's in the sense of uh, we're close, but we're, you know, we're also very far. Um, you know, I just think like these other coaches have said, we're all going after the same high quality student athlete. We're all, go- you know, we're all at different gyms, but we're all calling on the same four or five kids um, at the same time. So, you know, I think that uh, being at UMass Boston in, in such a diverse place, um, but being in the Little East Conference with institutions that, aren't in diverse places. I think it kind of lets our kids see how lucky we are to, to have, you know, if they make it, we have it here on campus. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a good place. It's a great place to be. Um, you know, and I, and all of our kids are, all of our kids enjoy it. So, you know. No, I appreciate it. No. And fair point. Absolutely. Um, about the checkered stuff. Um, I, I continue to talk. I knew this wouldn't be enough time. I've already taken more time than I promised. Um, I'm going to let you guys go, though. Gary's going to stick around. We're going to talk a little bit of NABC business before he has to depart. But we always give the guests the final word. Jason, I'll start with you. I'll go to Larry, then Cam. Coach Gary, you'll get it in the next segment. Uh, but Coach Jason, uh, any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in on a topic? I freely admit we're just barely touching the ice, uh, the tip of the iceberg on. Dave, I appreciate you. I appreciate Ryan, I appreciate uh, these other coaches here that joined us today. Um, be on the lookout for the Black College Coaches Classic next year. Hope to expand it. Coach Cam, hopefully we can get you up here and get you another woman coach of color, even if it's from another institution, we'll host the game. And uh, we're just we're blessed to be competing, and good luck the rest of your guys' years. Well said, Larry. Yeah, Dave, thanks so much for having us on. As usual, you do a really awesome job. I'm appreciative of um um, the, the stage you've given, you know, coaches um, to come on and talk about their programs and, and Division three basketball in general. But um, I'm really appreciative of, of having this stage to be able to a- address, um, you know, some of the, the issues, I, as Jason talked about, it's not just here, but it's all over the, the world in terms of changing the landscape or at least making a pendulum swing in a different direction. Um, um, it's an important topic, and, and I, I hope people can begin to start conversations that hadn't already about this and, and can see the value in it for us as, as you know, from a humanity standpoint, um, just using basketball as a vehicle. So thanks. Sure. Appreciate your kind words. Coach Cam. Well, you're muted coach. Hey coach, you're muted. <laughs> there you Sorry, are. I- Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, It's just been a humbling experience. And just talking to you guys in this 30-minute segment just really puts it into perspective just how blessed 
we really are to be in these positions because as we can see, they're, they're few and far and in between, but we have been selected. So even though, you know, we're talking about change, I'm also just grateful to know that we are the catalyst to even, you know, begin to start thinking about change. And I think it starts with administrators. It starts with search committees. It starts with um, the higher ups, you know? So we, yes, these coaches are having these conversations, but I think that they also need to have those conversations too and um you know be just be a little more intentional about you know who we are putting um over our student athletes um but just know i'm grateful and i'm thankful anytime you need me for anything i am there um and fellas i hope to see you guys in the future even though you're on the men's side but <laughs> look out for laroche women's basketball there you go Hey, I appreciate you all coming on. Really do. Gary, I know we'll talk to you in a moment here before you have to run off. But uh, all of you, thank you. I know we're just touching, like I said, the tip of this. I, I wish we could do more. Maybe this will help springboard to, to larger conversations that we can have down the road uh, as well. But thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. Dave, if we did have just 20 seconds, I did want to uh, I'd be remiss to not mentioning uh, Charlie Titus. There are several people that have uh, been instrumental in our ability to be on with you today. And Charlie's just one of many, uh, but has played a significant role in, in uh, a, a number of us that are on this call today. Uh, good call. And okay. so I just I wanted to do that. Uh, no, please. Time. I'm glad you interrupted to do uh, that. That Well said. I know Jason probably more than echoes that thought, uh, considering he's uh, had, to, had, had, had him as a boss. <laughs> those, are, those are big shoes right there. Those are big shoes right. in many Real ways. Real <laughs> Thanks again, y'all. I appreciate it. Jay, uh, Gary Stewart's going to join us here in a moment to just do some quick business on the NABC side, but I thank them for their attention. We'll take a quick break, and like I said, Gary Stewart will join us. You're watching Hoopsville Marathon, uh, and I hope that topic was educational for you. I know we didn't do a ton of it, and we could go for hours talking about that topic, and maybe we'll down the road. Watch more on the marathon when we come back. NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division III. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. 
Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division Three level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Coming to you from the NABC studios. Appreciate the time everyone has given us on this marathon show. Continue our conversation. We'll bring Gary Stewart back in now, who's uh, also not only the head coach at Stevenson University, he's also on the board of the NABC and future president of said board for the NABC. Uh, Gary, thanks for the time. Uh, I know we don't have a ton of it left, um, but one of the, the topics that I know is near and dear to your heart, you mentioned it during that segment, was the reconciliation committee that you're on with the NABC and the e-racism um, work that you're all trying to do. Can you give us a, a larger sense of what that work has been and, and what it means, not only to you, but in the larger scheme of things? Well, the NABC Ra Racial Reconciliation Committee um, is a, a committee that looks at a number of different things. Uh, case in point, I'll just give you two, two areas. Um, SAT and ACT, um, required sports and, and, and uh, so that, that issue and where we stand on that, uh, we we're touching right now on affirmative action and where that's going with the, uh, the Supreme Court and, and, and filing amicus briefs uh, in regards to that. And, uh, but also uh, what kind of programming that, uh, uh, that's needed in this uh, time. And so some of it's bringing awareness to an issue. Some of it is really trying to make impactful change in, in the basketball landscape. Um, so really, that's that's what our mission is, and we 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 look at that globally. Um, we look at that uh, uh, in all divisions. Uh, we look at it at a grassroots level, uh, and ultimately, the one premise is is how can we make things better. Um, so, um, touching on that, Dave, uh, the. Uh, eracism part is a group that uh, was formed uh, uh, myself, uh, Joe Dwyer and Angela uh, with College Insider, uh, Arthur Hightower with the San Diego Chargers uh, and uh, Wills Wilson and, and Gene Marshall, AD at Hampton and the former coach Wills Wilson Rice. So we, we uh, formed this group uh, shortly after George Floyd's uh, untimely death and uh, and, and we do similar things that the Racial Reconciliation Committee does. We, we want to bring awareness. We want to bring change. Uh, and I know we don't have a lot of time here, here Dave, but it's, it's, a, it's a really, really uh, incredible organization that has a lot of people that are members, uh, whether it be at Division One administrators, coaches. We have people on the women's side. We have small college coaches involved. We have people outside of basketball involved. It's, it's, a, it's a fabulous group and, and uh, really, really uh, have some unbelievable initiatives that we're trying to allow. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. I love the name e-racism. I, I mean, there's so much you can do with that. And I, and I kind of I enjoy 
that kind of wording or, or positioning of something to get someone's attention. Um, we're going to see a lot of that in D3 to D2 to D1, kind of that initiative a little bit. Is I, I know it's not one season's enough. I know there's more conversations to be had. What do you hope to move forward with this after at least getting it off the ground and getting the attention it needs to start having before taking it further? Well, it, it's really about uh, fairness, equity. It, it's really about uh, reshaping the landscape. Um, so there are different areas, Dave, that we're working in. For instance, uh, there's a uh, coach's solution part where um, we recommend uh, uh, primarily minority candidates for um, jobs. Um, and specifically at the Division One level in men's basketball is where we started last season. And and seven of the people that we put forward ended up uh, being hired. And um, um, so if you look at the numbers, uh, that's impactful because uh, that's a landscape that uh, the populace that, that basketball serves, there's a certain percentage. And then the overlying uh, leadership, that, that data and those numbers are diametrically opposite of the populace that serves. And, and so we're, we're working diligently to make inroads in that. Um, so that's just one of the, the several areas that, that we feel like uh, uh, if we can do some of the initiatives that we set for and do it well, that uh, we'll be better off for it. And, and everybody will be. Um, college basketball will be better off for it. Institutions will be better off for it. And our student athletes will be better off for it. To, to switch gears a little bit, I hope, is all right. There's much more work on the NABC side that obviously takes a lot of your time as a future president of that board. I know Division Three at the NABC level has certainly gained more and more respect um, from the work of the Charlie Brocks and the and the and the um, well Paige Moyers, uh, Pat Cunningham's, etc. I'm just curious your take now that you're kind of in that position where, and in my opinion, you've also kind of garnered extra respect from your D1 experience. feels like you can kind of hedge that a little bit to help move D3 in a continued better position in, in terms of coaches at the NABC. Yeah, the, the aforementioned people that you mentioned, along with Mike McGrath, work tirelessly. Uh, they are tremendous uh, representatives of Division Three, And one of the things that's come out of COVID, Dave, is, is uh, how we do business and how we communicate. And so now we're able to engage our brethren in a way that we weren't uh, doing that before with Zoom and, and the ability to get on a Zoom call with Congress and, and really have uh, robust discussions about a lot of different topics. Um, we're able to have that type of engagement more often than, than we did in the past. Um, and the result of that is that uh, Division Three is better. Um, and we're able to look at uh, a lot of different topics and get a lot of different information from a lot of different people um, in different regions of the country. Um, and uh, what might have taken us uh, eight months to a year to uh, get a survey out, get the information back, get the communication going, now that that's happening in a more timely fashion. And the result of that is uh, that we're able to impact the student athlete at a greater rate. 
obviously the student athletes benefited in Division Three. We've had the All Star Game, which has made a huge impact uh, on the on the men's side of things. The women have emulated that as well. Granted, COVID has derailed a few things. I'm, I'm not trying to predict the future necessarily, but it's certainly the NABC continues to try and and move directions to benefit the student athlete, but they're also trying to benefit their own coaches. Um, What's the overall message to anybody who is a member or anybody who isn't a member of the NABC on what you all are doing to try and and make the program the best possible? I I think everything, Dave, uh, and and when I say that, that that's an easy thing to say, a hard thing to do. Uh, But we are trying to uh, uh, educate we are trying to bring awareness. We are trying to get more of a diverse populace into our pool. We are trying to um, uh, really bring credit to basketball in a way that we haven't done in the past. Uh, uh, typically, basketball has been uh, a reactionary uh, body where things have happened and then we react accordingly. Uh, now we're being much more proactive. Uh, Division three. Um, has benefited from uh, Craig Robinson and, and Nate Pomley's uh, vision for what this looks like moving forward. Uh, and just one of the things is uh, think uh, SAC, if you will, um, and what SAC does and how impactful it is nationally with the NCAA. Uh, we've had a kind of a spinoff group uh, where we have 10 student athletes that represent the country. Uh, that now we're having this, these robust conversations about all kinds of topics uh, that squarely relate to them and, and what, uh, what that experience looks like. And, and we want to know. We want to know how we can make it better. We want to know what we're doing well. Um, um, and, and who better to get that messaging from than the student athletes that uh, are living it on a day-to-day basis. So that's just one of the things that's been implemented in, uh, during Craig's tenure. Um, but um, like Jim Haney prior to, prior to Craig, uh, he sees the, the value in, in all levels. Uh, Division three is very, very important to, to the NABC leadership. Um, and, uh, and we have a voice. And I think that's important for, for all coaches uh, at the Division three level to know that uh, uh, the NABC values uh, Division three uh, basketball and uh, and wants to um, hear from us, the, the, the coaches that are involved with Division Three basketball in, in ways that we can shape it and, and, and move this uh, forward for all. Helps if I unmute the button. Uh, yep. clearly, every, <laughs> clearly everything's important, as you point out, in the, in the work uh, regarding uh, minority coaches and racism and, and all of that work and down to the student athlete. It's obviously an all-encompassing Project. Um, I, I'm not sure if we've given it enough time or not, but I'll, I'll leave the floor open. Is there anything else about the NABC or your perspective in general about what we've talked today that you want to make sure to get across? I think the, the thing that to remember, uh, Dave, is that this is a very, very uh, transient time. Uh, and a lot of the things that are at Division Three still have, uh, Division One still have a, an effect at Division Three. Um, what does the NLI look like moving forward? What is uh, the transfer portal? And what, what effect is that going to have uh, in 2025, 2026 as we project out? Um, a lot of these issues uh, are really reshaping 
um, how we view uh, college athletics on the collegiate level. Um, the Constitution Committee uh, spoke and uh, the NCA reacted to um, uh, some of those uh, things that came across their desk here at the last convention. Uh, what will those things look like as we unveil those uh, new initiatives and, and, and how will they affect legislation? All of those things make for a very uh, precarious time, uh, but uh, there are uh, one overlapping uh, thought, uh, whether it be the NCAA, whether the NABC, the WBCA, uh, that is how can we create a better experience for the student athlete? And as long as we, we work from that premise, uh, there's gonna be great ideas. Uh, we will vet those ideas and, uh, and try to implement the things that uh, we really feel strongly about. Well, Gary, as always, I appreciate our chats um, on air and off air. We don't get to do enough of them, unfortunately, mainly because they take so much of our day. Let's be honest. Um, but I do appreciate it as always. And, and thank you for your time. I look forward to, to chatting with you both on air and off air in the future again, because I always come away uh, conversation with you or Jason or Larry or whomever with a, certainly a different perspective on many things. Um, so thank you for your time. Um, as always, we give you, the, the guest, the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Dave, I just want to thank you. Um, you're, um, you play a valuable role uh, for Division Three athletics, and, uh, and I know how hard you work. You know, obviously, I, uh, I have a, a great friendship with you. You and I have partnered on projects before, so uh, I know that uh, two in the morning I can call and well, I know you're awake. I wake <laughs> yeah. I know you're awake, but um, I'm so appreciative and speaking on behalf of all Division Three. We're very fortunate to have you uh, and continue to do the great work that you've done so far. You're very much appreciated. I appreciate that. Thank you, Coach. Uh, means a lot. Yeah, a few projects you can call me at 2 in the morning on. I can think of that's happened. Or we're still in your office at 2 in the morning. That's happened before. Really, we've, been, we've been there, too. Yeah, yep. we have. Wishing yep. we had thought about food earlier and realized exactly. we were screwed. Exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, that view looks familiar, by the way. Hey, thanks for the time. Take care of yourself. Look forward to catching up with you down the road. Good luck the rest of the season with your Mustangs. I know we didn't talk a lot about them, but we'll talk about them somewhere down the road. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Gary Stewart joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Got to get quickly to a break because coming up next, we're going to talk to both committee chairs about what to expect when regional rankings come out next week. There's some quirks coming, folks. Just warning you now. It's a segment you're going to want to watch and listen to as well. You're listening to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the NABC Studios. Back with more after this. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. 
There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. It's on us, it's on all of us, and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us, it's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. More schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome in, everybody. They're they're just chatting. You're not hearing them. They can hear themselves. Don't worry. I wanted to give them a fair warning. I muted my the, the speaker, so no one can hear them. Uh, little good stuff going on behind the scenes. Ooh, taking notes. Going to ask questions later. Uh, welcome back to Hoopsville. Uh, the marathon continues. I just hit the tweet. Oh, and I forgot the picture. Now I'm going to have to go back and retweet it. Darn it. Um, talking D3 hoops here all day today on the marathon show, and we appreciate you all for tuning in. If you have, if you're listening to it on the archive, that's pretty darn cool as well. Switching gears, great conversation with uh, Jason Harris, Larry Anderson, Gary Stewart, and uh, Coach Cam, because I'm not going to try and butcher her last name again, uh, talking about um, minority coaching. It's a tremendous great topic. We didn't do it enough justice. We will try and do more in the future. Uh, It is worth doing. 
that said, it's a hard switch now to talk national committee stuff, but we're going to make that shift in gears and get going because regional rankings will be out in a week's time. Um, brackets are going to be out in three and a half weeks. We're going to have a lot to discuss, and there's going to be a lot of you with questions, which is why I always bring on the, my next set of guests, as I do every year. The topic's never listened to, but that's okay. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoops Hotline, it is the National Committee Chairs for the Men's and Women's Basketball Programs, as we had them on earlier this year. Mike Shower from Wheaton and Meg Wilson from Luther, who's the Associate AD. Mike is the head coach at Wheaton. First and foremost, thanks for coming back. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We were just talking what a tough act to follow. Yeah, I'm, I apologize. It wasn't the best of timing um, or, or on the schedule, but it's the only one I could make work out without moving you all. And I know you have busy schedules as well, even if Mother Nature has thrown monkey wrenches into a lot of this along with COVID. Um, first Anything and foremost, for you, Dave. Would you say? Anything for you. Oh, well, hold on a second. I got a list. <laughs> Um, I'll take notes. That might come back to haunt you in a few weeks. <laughs> or time. it might help me down the road. One well, of maybe, the two. Maybe. Um, we should point out mock rankings took place this week. Um, so in other words, you guys got your, your regional racks together, which is kind of redundant, um, to discuss rankings and, and come out with them. You all got to take a look at them as a national scope of it. This is what you were talking about when I made sure no one could hear you <laughs> when we came back from break. Overall, uh, Mike, I'll start with you. How did the process go, and how do you how do you how did you think the racks did? Considering there's a good chunk of people here who have never done this. Yeah, Dave, no question. I mean, we've got a lot of a lot of new people, and then and even if those who are in their second year, you know, obviously didn't do this process a year ago. So right. you know, I would say, broadly speaking, Dave, we were really pleased with um, the prep our racks put in, the prep that the national committee members put in, and felt pretty good. About about the the teams uh, that were that were uh, present in the practice ranking, and um, you know we spent a little more time making sure we had the right group of teams, and probably not as much time without the you know given the practice ranking, worrying necessarily about the minutia of who's who's ahead of who yet. Um, obviously, that's coming, but I was really impressed. I think for the most part, our racks. And our national committee member ident members identified the proper teams at this point, given the criteria we have available. Uh, interesting thoughts there. I'll come back to that in a moment, certainly. Um, Megan, your, your your reactions to how your committees did? Yeah, I would echo a lot of Mike's sentiments. You know, we have a lot of uh, new committee chairs, and I, I thought the RACs did a great job. Uh, we definitely spent a, a lot of time on our national call kind of drilling down and looking things. And we made some switches on different regions because we really wanted to make sure we're doing things right from the get-go. And so not that we were maybe not looking at as closely at it this week as we're going to have to in a couple of weeks when we come out in one through nine or eight, depending on the region order versus alphabetical next week. So spent a lot of time, super proud of our committee chairs and the work they did and the patients. Um, and I feel like we're in a really good spot. I think we're all just excited to be ranking teams for a net, uh, championship that we think is going to happen, and that's exciting. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good point, uh, especially to make. Uh, the championships could be happening, which is is great to hear. Um, I want to touch on a little bit of what you touched there. You you didn't harp on three and four as much, and you mentioned it there at the end about um, alphabetical rankings. If no one has picked this up from the fall, and no one picked up from our conversation. <laughs> 
earlier this season. The first ranking next week, which will come out, and we'll get to this as well in a minute. I'll get to coming out in a minute. Um, they're going to be alphabetical. They're not going to be ranked in numbers. So, yeah, that gives you a little bit of leeway to not worry about who's three and four because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter if you're coming out alphabetical. And, and we should point out it also doesn't matter because you're not going to use what position they're in the following week. Correct, Mike? Correct. Yeah, and I would add it's it's not that we didn't worry about who was three or four. The truth is, Fair. Dave, there isn't a three or four, meaning Fair. right now it, the difference isn't that we concluded we didn't worry about it. I actually don't think there is a three or four. I think it's uh, at this point we are without such a significant piece of criteria, which is the regionally ranked results. Um, that to put them in order firmly at this point, um, I don't think we can do until we get the criteria. So it's not that we didn't worry about it, but I actually don't know that we we can say with definitive uh, confidence that a team is actually ahead of another team yet because we're missing the criteria. Um, and I think the other thing, Dave, one of the things that is going to is really obvious the first time through the the process is we are ranking a lot more teams. And so there are going to be more teams with regionally ranked wins, and there are going to be teams with more regionally ranked wins to their resume because of how many teams we're ranking. And so I think one of the things that's become real obvious, and for those of you that follow the process, um, to keep an eye on is the committees are going to have to be very discerning about the value of a regionally ranked win. There is going to be great disparity between uh, certain regionally ranked wins. They are not of the same value. And so I think we're going to have to really identify, you know, how good are these regionally ranked wins in comparison to another team's regionally ranked wins, because we are just ranking so many teams as compared to previous years. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I want to dive into that a little bit further. But Megan, first, your reactions to to that fact that, again, it's alphabetical next week to some degree. It takes a little bit of pressure off making sure you hem and haul over three and four. But to counter that just a little bit, you got to get these racks kind of up to speed with how you feel as a national committee. Yeah, absolutely. And and to echo what Mike said, you know, I don't think in a mock ranking, I've ever found it more difficult to go through the process since we've talked about this so much. And I've never thought about making chocolate chip cookies the same way again, since uh, Mike's analogy. So, um, you know, we talked at length uh, with our committees and I sat in on multiple region calls this week too, just to kind of help out. And, um, you know, we are missing so much. So the number of times we said, this is going to play out here in a couple of weeks, and this will look much differently in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, if I had a cookie for every time we said that it would, we'd have a few dozen right now, but it was just, it's such a big part of the criteria that you're missing. And I guess until it was brought up and pointed out in that manner, like Mike and I talked about the last time we were on with you, I don't think I realized how difficult it is to determine one through nine without that piece of criteria. Let's start with that criteria because, again, it's a results versus regionally ranked opponents that's missing because you don't have any rankings to base it on. In the past, in the first week, we've gotten a numerical number uh, of without that data point. And again, as we've discussed on the podcast that Pat and I did back in November, and as we've discussed in the show uh, early December, late November, whenever the heck that was, um, I understand the reasoning for alphabetical. At first, I was losing my ever-loving mind, but I totally appreciate the perspective. Okay, you just got done with mock rankings. 
you're going to have to do that all over again and have the same headache before then switching gears and having results versus reaching ranked opponents, which is going to probably bring in its own headaches as people got used to doing it a certain way. Is We brought this up, so I'm kind of curious if any conversations have taken place. Do the mock rankings. Make it a practice. That's fine. Release them publicly, alphabetically, so that when we hit week one, you do have the VRO data. Has that thought moved forward in any way and now that you've done mock rankings and you're getting ready for week one does it still make sense or does it now no longer make sense and megan i guess i'll i'm sorry mike i'm gonna start with megan just because we've been going the same order i figure flip it up but i hope you don't mind yeah i mean i think that makes a lot of sense um you know to use this week as the alphabetical week and then week one we are actually have that primary criteria and it gives us a better picture for a little bit longer of a period. Uh, you're, you are right. We are going to have to make adjustments and we are going to have some of the same headaches in a long call, but that's our responsibility as committee members to do our due diligence that we're getting the right teams where they need to be. So, you know, those are adjustments we have to make. I think it makes a lot of sense collaborating and moving forward where this first one is the alphabetical and that's our practice. And then we get right into it. Mike, go ahead and react as well, but I'm also curious if if you've had conversations about the idea, but answer however you want to. Yeah, I, I feel like the same way I did earlier in the fall and, and, and with greater intensity. I think we should do the first ranking as alphabetical because of the missed criteria, and I would love to move it back a week uh, to so that we can get the regionally ranked results um, sooner and in the process. So I, I would feel the same way I did before. And I think the, the first practice ranking probably intensified that feeling a little bit. And so, Dave, as you know, nothing happens in Division Three sports specific very often. So nope. the conversation <laughs> is certainly happening. But, but to suggest that there's momentum in other sports um, towards that end, I would have no idea. And I don't even know that the that the alphabetical ranking will continue past this year. Yeah, um, we should point get, out it's a trial go back period. To what we were doing before. I'm my my stance is pretty clear. I, I think it's tough to put them in order until we have the whole criteria, but I do think uh, going back a week so that we get to the the numeric ranking a week earlier makes a lot of sense to me. Well, and full data a, a week earlier. I mean, we always said after week exactly. one, don't worry about this one because after week two, it's irrelevant because et cetera, et cetera. But we'll see a team sitting in third. You're like, no, wait, next week they're going to be eighth. Uh, all things else equal. Things could change, certainly. Um, and by the way, let me know who you want me to call. I'll start I'll start freaking lobbying on this thing. Um, I only require a small stipend in, in, in return. Six figures, that's all. Um, <laughs> I put a dot in there, so it's really less than you think. Um, let's move on to the, to the more numbers. So there's a quirk here and please explain it to me. We, we went to 10 regions, but as I understand it, each region is at its max max percentage in terms of ranked. And I've always was been under the impression that a, a sport slash region could determine how many they want ranked in their region. But I get the sense this time around because it's new, that's not the case that you guys are kind of handcuffed to having the max. A am I in the right ballpark or am I completely mistaken? Yeah. My understanding is it's twenty percent, Dave, in each in each region, so and that is what number. we are. That is what we are expected to rank is uh, twenty percent of the teams represented in a region, 
rounded to a to a numeric value. So it's not obviously, you know, 20 percent isn't always a, a precise number in each region. So that's my understanding of it. Uh, whether regions or places can can deviate from that, I don't know. We're going to rank to 20 percent in the number we've been given. Same for the women's. And in my time on the RAC and on the national committee, it's always been a set number for my regions. It's never been the number that we would like to see ranked. See, I always thought there was a, and I'm not, I'm pleading a little guilty here that I forgot to look this up beforehand, but I always thought there was a, a range allowed of X to 20%. I don't remember what the lower end number is. And yeah, Mike's region the same as Megan's. It's a specific number. It always has been. And that's interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and check on that. So I appreciate that. That's good intel to have. But to that point, not only do we have 10 regions, but when you take percentage of a region by default, especially when they're smaller, you're going to end up with more ranked, not especially when they're smaller, just the way the math works. Just trust me on this. You end up with more ranked, not only because you have 10 regions, but because you're maxed out in every region. So great. We had 13 in region one, I think, in either men and or women or Northeast region, I should say in the past. Now we have region one and two, and really we're at what, 15 or 16? I mean, yeah, I mean, we are ranking a lot more teams, Dave, and I don't know what Megan's experience with that was. That is the thing I we found most difficult is the number of teams we are ranking and our traditional resume for a regionally ranked team has been diminished some. So we are now ranking teams with much lower winning percentages and much lower strength of schedules because we simply are are progressing. You know, it's 20 plus more teams that we're ranking. And so those resumes and what a what a regionally ranked resume looks like has been watered down a bit from previous years. Uh, Megan, your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. And and not only that, but you know, yes, we're ranking more teams. They're maybe not as quality of ranked teams when you get into some of the lower numbers. Um, but it also just kind of it like Mike said, I guess I don't know how to say it better, but it just diminishes it a little bit. And so it is going to lead to lengthier calls. Um, and I don't think this is specific to basketball. I think there's been very similar feedback for all of the NCAA championships so far. And I hope that feedback is taken into account when we move forward next year with the number of teams per region. Yeah. Like not use the max percentage. Um, I know in soccer, I think I heard they were, they were struggling with the same thing and it's a comparable sport considering numbers wise. Um, it, it kind of feels a little deja vu. I don't remember if either of you remember what I'm referring to. I think you would. The, the once ranked, always ranked mentality that we all thought would be a great idea until teams had 22 ranked opponents because there were teams in the first week that should would never have been ranked otherwise who are still stuck in there. And so you had this number and this data point that got oversaturated and didn't help the equation, though it helped teams get in the tournament. Don't get me wrong. To some degree... I assume you're still looking at, a, and I agree, <laughs> loaded question, because I know we haven't gone down this road yet, technically with your racks, but the re results versus regionally ranked opponents, I assume you're still going to dive into that and go, okay, they're X and X, you know, they're X and Y against the number two, and they're X and Y against the number 10, but that number 10 doesn't hold the same weight as a number two, right, Megan? Absolutely. I think uh, it's a whole resume and the body of work, and I think where those ranked teams' wins or losses lie has a lot to do with that resume for that particular team. 
Is it yeah, Dave, as I mentioned before, I, I think the the ability to discern how good a regionally ranked win is is going to be a work the committee's going to going to have to go over and over and over because uh, four regionally ranked wins from one team could be distinctly different, better or worse than four regionally ranked teams from another. Uh, they're not going to be equal. And in some cases, that gap is going to be very significant in the quality of that regionally ranked win. Or even those four to those to another team, six or eight. And, and I'm literally right. can think of scenarios like that. Uh, to that point also, um, how hard is it for racks doing this work? Let's take re region one to, to to take an extreme compared to region 10. How hard is it for a region one to look at region 10 and go, okay, so they played you know, number three in region 10 and they played the number four in region five. Um, how do they understand what that means compared to the national perspective where you guys maybe have a better understanding of that, Mike? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think, um, uh, to say it correctly, I'm not overly worried about it because those checks and balances ultimately become the responsibility of the national committee well to make sure that how the rack is perceiving the, the third ranked team in region 10 or whatever the case may be uh, is equivalent to how the, the national committee is doing it. So um, it, it's really our responsibility as a checks and balances to make sure that we are coming up with the appropriate value of regionally ranked wins across the board and comparing and contrasting and um, you know, each each individual rack needs to worry about their region. We are responsible to sort of the national perspective on it. And I wouldn't expect uh, the rack in region one to fully comprehend what is happening in region 10. I don't I don't think that's their responsibility. That's ours. And probably just to add, giving them feedback and communicating why the differences or after the weeks when they go back to their regional committees, you know, why we made changes, you know, is going to be key is just educating them on the difference. And like Mike said, no, it's not their responsibility, but it's our responsibility to communicate with them and educate them on why changes may possibly have been made at our level. Yeah, that's well said, Megan. Um, to the point of more teams ranked, you also have more regions ranked as a national committee. You now have a, a group of 10 versus a group of eight. Megan, you said you participated in other regional calls. There's more regions to do that with now, so that's definitely more time on your hands. Um, we'll get to some more of that in a minute, but really that means I'm foreseeing a longer conversation the day you release rankings. I foresee longer conversations when you get to the at-large table to try and select teams, not only because there's now 10 at the table versus there had been eight, but you have 10 voices at the table versus eight. Megan, that... I don't know if you guys have even started to work down that road, but that feels like that's added an exponential amount of time that's, that needs to be considered. And uh, by the way, you're probably going to hit your brackets even later. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's why, you know, it's important for us. We don't have any more time to get it done. Right. So that's why it's important for us to kind of get it right and have these conversations, the lengthy ones week to week. Um, so hopefully on the 27th, you know, we've ironed some of those things out hopefully helps on the time constraint a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a commitment. All of the committee members that serve both on the national and regional level are doing this because they want a great championship. They want to see the right teams in. Um, and, and I've heard so many people say it's the best professional development experience they've ever had, right. Is to be a, a member of the regional committee or the national committee. And I, you know, so now instead of having seven friends, Dave, I have nine friends. So that's a benefit. That's one way of looking at it. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, 
I think the, the other thing with 10, uh, 10 regions and, and some of that, I think the, the two extremes become really important because uh, who is ranked one and two in, in 10 regions now becomes really important because there's, there's going to be more competition at the top when you get to selection Sunday, meaning there will be 10 teams on the table instead of eight. And so those, the order at the top is really essential. And then the order at the bottom is because uh, who we put in at the bottom is going to um, significantly impact resumes at the top, if that makes sense. And so, uh, you know, I think uh, I'm anticipating us, us having some very lengthy conversations to make sure we have the right teams at the top because the battle to get in is probably going to intensify a little bit. And then the right teams at the bottom, uh, because that's going to influence who's at the top. So those conversations on the edges, I think are going to, are going to intensify. Uh, switching gears a little bit, but still on the same topic of, of these rankings and Megan, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. I apologize. Uh, but you knew this was coming. Uh, we got told the men were moving to Tuesday. So that means the racks are meeting on Mondays to get through all their information and the national committee meeting on Tuesday. Uh, the ranking for the men will come out on Tuesday. We were under the impression the women were doing the same. I actually even had a guest who had a rack meeting on a Monday leading to that speculation. But Megan, you told me off air yesterday, that's not the case. You'll be releasing on Wednesday. Were we misinformed? Was there a, a change somewhere? I mean, we could easily get it wrong. I'm just curious why not the switch to Tuesday as we had been led to believe. Yeah, I think it was just a matter of, you know, Mike and I had just started meeting jointly to discuss the way things would be handled between the men's and women's committees. And so at that point, they had already made the decision to move to Tuesdays. Um, and it was already sent out to the regional committees that we would be releasing on Wednesday. So I think some regions made an attempt. I know I made an attempt in, in Region 9 to move to Mondays in case we go down that path in the future. Uh, it didn't work for a lot of my coaches' schedules after things had already been set as is. And so some regions moved to Mondays, some stayed on Tuesdays. We're going to continue with Wednesdays, I think, with the hopes of having conversations with the men's committee about it this summer and, and getting on the same page moving forward. Well, to that point, yeah, I was going to say, is there almost an essence that you as two, both committees coming together to chat needs to happen even sooner than what we've normally or what has normally been the timing? I think we've already begun doing that. I think uh, we meet on a, a monthly basis. Um, so Mike and I are pretty in touch with things and um, we meet with our NCAA reps as well and just making sure our championships are looking the same. Um, opportunities for student athletes. Obviously a lot of that came to light last year at the division one level. Um, so we think just, and not as much at our level. And I think we talked about the that the last time we were on, um, but it's still important to both Mike and myself and our committees to make sure we're on the same page and making decisions that benefit both men's and women's student athletes. Sure. Can understand that. Mike, uh, how do you see the Tuesday release working? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty simple, our rationale. I've, we've talked about it before. You know, we felt like there are so many games on Tuesdays and, you know, we would uh, do our our rack on Tuesday and our national call on Wednesday. And we would we would have these games that everybody would know took place Tuesday night that were not a part of our conversation, but sort of spilled in at times to say, well, we're going to put Team A ahead of Team B this week, but Team B just beat them last night. And but we couldn't do that. And so. It just, uh, I think, cleans up some of that a little bit, um, and we'll see how it works out. Uh, you know, I will say my Sunday night was a whole lot busier uh, this this past week than it was in the past as we tried to get 
you know, some of our straw poll stuff. And, and uh, I tried to look at each, all 10 regions before the rack calls on Monday. So it intensified my day off a little bit, Dave, but uh, that's okay. I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I think it's a, a little, I don't know if cleaner is the right word, but it's just going to let us have as many results available to us um, and not have kind of the confusion of a, of a Wednesday ranking come out with games that took place Tuesday that we're not counting. Or Wednesday games that are about to happen. Correct. Which also kind of follows along with our rationale for the alphabetical order, right? Like it, it takes some of those questions out of play that week one where we don't have those results. It's kind of the same thought process. You just with- don't want tough questions. I don't. I'm sending them to you this year. That's what I was told. My Go job ahead. Was. It doesn't mean it doesn't come back to you. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I, I'm the schedule thing's interesting because I did think of that. I thought a lot of teams tend to have a Sunday and or a Monday off. Allows the coaches to, to have that time. But that said, condenses that week a little bit, but then frees up the middle of the week. So I, I'll be interested to see how it plays out. Um, we'll look forward to hearing more about it. Uh, a couple of things I want to check on on a couple of things just moving forward. First off, it's men who have priority in the opening weekend, women the second weekend. Am I correct? We have that right? Yes. Okay. Yep. I, I'm going to emphasize that for you listening at home. Men's teams have priority the first weekend. Women have priority the second weekend in case two teams could possibly both host. I ask this every year, so I'll ask it as, as I always do. How do we make sure we don't have a year where it, men's program in this case men and women had priority or in this case like it'll be it'll be women how do we make sure that you don't tell them hey we're going to have x host and then when the bracket comes out you change your mind and and the women we're going to have different plans and it all got fouled up how's the communication how do you guys make sure that everything you do change whatever between committees that could impact the other is going to get to the other committee left that one wide open for a you just wanted to see who jump at it I first. Did. <laughs> just, I mean, it's just like everything else. Like, right. We're in communication on Sunday night, our NCAA liaisons when we're working on the bracketing, we have three screens going cell phone, you know, so it's just going to be about communication and make sure we get it right. Um, you know, we don't want to say, Hey, the men have priority at Wheaton. So that let, I'm just using them as an example. So they're going to host and then we bypass Wheaton women as a host and, and now they don't, you know, so that's just going to be about, again, us being on the same page, communicating with one another. And, you know, I think that that's a pretty easy answer when you're talking about the best student athlete experience. So. Yeah, I would read. And, and you can kind of see this stuff coming, right, Dave. And you can see the, that, particularly the opening weekend when you have men's and women's teams from the same school that are potentially going to host. So we'll start asking those questions as soon as we can, but Megan's right. It's just an, it's just a matter of, of making sure we communicate throughout the process. The other thing that will be interesting this year is the number of sites that put into host with maybe some additional COVID protocols or other things and their ability to be able to host and what, host sites we have available to us. Listen, we know that was a challenge last year with any hopes of trying to pull the tournament off. The hosting was a major um, component of that that became problematic. Um, so I, and we don't need to rehash that, but I, I totally appreciate what you say there. That's, that's a great point. A um, couple other things. Do you have any plans? I don't remember if this has happened in the past. I know we certainly do it on our mock Mac rankings. Any plans to, to and I, I use the word cheat, a little tongue and cheek, cheek here, but you know who's going to be in the tournament for at larges for the top portion. You just know that they're going to be in based on resumes you've been working on for weeks. 
Is there an element of saying, listen, we don't need to go through the whole step-by-step process for teams one through six here. Let's just put them in in now. We know it's done and dusted. Let's gives us more time. Is there a thought there, or will you go step by step? Mike, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, kind of both and Dave. If I'm honest with you, okay. we we will go step by step, but we recognize that that the initial steps are pretty quick. You're right. I mean, there are certain teams that get to the you know front of the front of the line very very quickly, and so we'll go through the steps to to have integrity in the process. But we also recognize the first six are probably very obvious, and we go through those relatively quickly. Yeah, very much the same on our side of things. We are actually uh, putting a subcommittee together um, within our national committee to kind of start talking about those things starting after week two rankings come out and just start talking about bracketing possibilities and potential host sites once those bids are in. And so do a little pre-work if we can, but obviously we know there's still some time left and lots of things can happen, but hopefully that makes things run a little smoother on the 27th. Not to get ahead of things a little bit, we all kind of understand how the hosting works. It tends to go to teams that are that are regionally ranked and have the best resumes, though geographics can certainly throw a monkey into that a lot of times, depending on who you end up selecting. But is there any effort or any thought to saying, hey, you know we're celebrating these schools because they're getting a chance to host and finding a, a way of, of I'm, I'm not sure the right wording I'm looking here. I had a half hour to think about it. Um, kind of state who your hosts are because of X. That makes any sense. Not because they're hosting because uh, the, the women, the men have priority. So you had to find another women's host, but saying these are the best teams on the bracket. Yeah, I left it as so potentially having multiple both men's and women's as hosts. I, I, I'm not no, no, sure. No, no, no. I'm answer. sorry. Yeah, I, I bungled it six ways a Sunday. But <laughs> saying that, listen, we know these are the top teams in our bracket. We understand that one through eight or one through sixteen. What pick a number? One through twelve. I don't care. We know these are the best teams on the bracket. We position them as as such, real, realizing geographics and hosting play a role here. But you're celebrating that they are our best. You know, we think they're the best teams on the tournament. FYI, does that make sense? Like revealing that kind of information prior to the selection, or or well, after? prior to the selection would be amazing. I was thinking it would probably go hand in hand with the selection slash bracketing. Yeah. But however, is there a thought to? Because I, I say it because in years past, there's always been this talk like. Yeah, by the way, these are the top 16. We just can't say it. Or we want to say that these are the top 16. We're just not going to do it or whatever. But there's been push, it felt like, and granted, we've been two years from this, so things could get derailed, that we want to showcase and say, just like they do in other divisions, these are the best teams in Division Three. They have been bracketed as such because we feel that way. Do you Do you think you can make that kind of move, or is that something maybe still a little further down the road? No, I, well, I guess my answer would be is I, I think by giving them a host site, we're sort of acknowledging that as long Fair. as we are recognizing there will be times that geographics and the, the shared host situation, meaning you may have a men's and women's team who both warrant being in a, a top 16 or a top eight situation. And, and because of the, the hosting uh, stipulations, can't both do it. So I so broadly speaking, Dave, yeah, we could acknowledge these these are who we think are our top 16 within reason with people understanding that there, there may be teams that can't host 
for reasons unrelated to where they are yeah. uh, in terms of the, the the actual value of their resume. But by and large, Dave, the, the 16 teams that get to host, by and large, are your best 16 teams as 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 well as we can manipulate it within the uh, you know the constraints of the process. Fair. Yeah, I, I might be thinking of a, a grander thought, but Megan, go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, that's pretty much what those 16 teams are without us coming right out and saying it. And obviously there are a few instances, right, where we can't have flights or the driving distance or whatnot. But I think for the most part, that's true. Um, You know, again, when we look at it, like for us to definitively say like this is a top 16 too, that's going to end up in a lot more phone calls for Mike and I. Um, and, and why we might not have gotten that right. Or, so I, I think we do say it without saying that specifically. Okay. Um, and, you know, just looking for new cool bells and whistles. That's all looking for some fun. Uh, a couple quick questions, uh, by the way, one person tuning into the show, listening in Villanova believes they're five or 10 miles from Mike's first coaching gig, uh, at Eastern. They wanted to give a little shout out to Mike says you won't recognize the area, but they wanted to give you a little shout out. St. David's PA right there. There you go, sir. Well done. Uh, Eastern having a good season this year. Um, they are. One of the things that the basketball's pushed a little bit, by the way, I'm avoiding one of the bigger questions that's going to be last, has um, been the non-conference v. conference first round games. It's something that, that both basketball committees have, have strived on. Unfortunately, due to restrictions, you've been hosed and haven't had conference v. conference games on the second game especially in places like the Northwest, Skyhack, Texas, elsewhere. We had a trial balloon that I think is still in place that for all Division Three sports, you don't play conference v. conference in the opening round. That affects more football than a lot or some smaller sports than anybody else. There was talk about trying to expand that to the first weekend. I realize we have budget issues. We'll be talking to Luis McCleary later in the show about all this. But is there a thought of trying to push it to keep you – to literally make sure that you don't have a conference v. conference game in the opening weekend, which would revolutionize the bracket, let's be honest. Uh, Megan, I'll start with you. I mean, I think there's definitely rationale to do that. Um, if, if budget was not a factor, I think we would already be doing that. And so I, I don't think anybody wants to play a 25-game season plus a conference tournament and then see a conference foe in the second round of the NCAA tournament. I think as a committee, at least in my experience, we've also, even though it was just round one, we've avoided both first and second rounds whenever possible. But as both of you well know, that that doesn't happen a lot. There's very often a second round matchup with a conference opponent. So I think absolutely there's reason to try to push for that and get support for that um, because it's just a better overall tournament experience, I think. Yeah, same answer, Dave. I think Megan's 100% correct. We, we work very hard to avoid it. To guarantee it doesn't happen is almost impossible given the restrictions we work under and, and some of the uh, economic realities of it. So, um, yeah, Megan's answer is 100% the correct one. Uh, maybe I saved this because I wanted the uh, the audience to stay with us for the whole segment. I don't know, but I, I want to get to the SOS win-loss percentage comparison real quick. I know there's other criteria. I'm certainly, you will hear me preach that there's other criteria left and right. But my only question is, and this has come up a number of times, and we get teams that get stuck in this situation. Sometimes it feels like that win-loss SOS comparison becomes a very rigid conversation. Um, to the point on the men's side a number of years back, it got almost too rigid. 
and it feels like it's more of a bell curve. There's times, and, and Fred Rogan's going to be on later in the show from a, a Southern California perspective, who, who kind of voices his frustration about it. But there's there's times it feels like we reward a team who's got an insane SOS, but let's be honest, didn't win more than uh, less, one more one more than or less than two thirds of their games. But then we don't reward the team that yeah has a weak SOS. Maybe it's because their conference drove that ship. They only have two losses on the season. To some point, it feels like we sometimes get hyper focused on the strength of schedule and not reward a team that just flat out played 28 games and only lost two of them. Is there a thought of the bell curve or some type of way of saying, listen, at some point, the win-loss has to win out. At some point, the SOS has to be ignored, and vice versa, to keep to allow maybe more teams that have had successful seasons in the tournament versus teams with nine losses. I know it's a loaded question. We haven't gotten to the end of the month, but it also is one that comes up all the time. And Mike, I'll, st- I'll start with you. Yeah, I'd have a couple answers to it. One, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to sort of reject the premise of comparing them directly, uh, win, winning percentage versus SOS, because what the men's committee would articulate, what I try to tell our committee, is what we're chasing is quality wins. We're, we're trying to find teams that have won uh, a significant percentage of their games against a quality schedule, but have really good wins. So if you do the comparison of a team that is, uh, say, 17-9, and nine, with a, with a really high SOS, that's not compelling to me unless they have six regionally ranked wins. Well, that kind of is that. I mean, that's a team that has played a lot of good teams and has, and has beaten them. The flip side of that is a team that is 24 and two with a, with a pretty low SOS. If they haven't beaten anybody of merit, a regionally ranked win or a high quality win, uh, then that resume is going to be weakened as well. Um, if that makes sense. I think it is tough to just take the two categories without the other parts of it and say which one is more valuable because it really is a de- it depends question about whether or not those other criteria are met. That being said, Dave, yeah. there is everybody would recognize there is a winning percentage that probably can't get ranked and can't get in. If, if you are 12 and 13 and you have a 650 SOS, we're not going to care. Fair. That's not enough. The same side it is, and I don't I won't want to apply a specific number to it, though, but there are SOS numbers that get low enough that it's difficult to know how to uh, evaluate the merits of that resume as well, because they probably haven't played anybody that is of significance. So, um, you know, we're, we're looking for teams that have quality wins on a good schedule. And, and a, so it's, it's a broader question than just comparing the two categories to me. I agree. Um, Megan, I, I get your take. And then I want to dive in on a couple follow-ups because I think especially this year, there could be some quirks in that that could really cause some issues, but Megan, your thoughts. I think the only thing I'll add, but that, that those two categories were what made this week so difficult, right? Because we didn't have results versus ranked opponents or those quality wins necessarily to evaluate. And so we had a lot of discussions. I would have a hard time um, saying a team that didn't win more than two thirds of their game with a high SOS is being talked about. I mean, maybe, but there used to be a hard and fast number, right? Back in the day when I was an assistant coach, it felt like you had to win 20 games or you weren't getting in the tournament. I think there's been some flex on that a little bit. Um, I do think the the quality of wins, like Mike said, is important. The other thing I'll say is we've talked a lot in the last few years when we've actually done rankings about 
you know, teams and conferences that aren't very strong. Um, and I think we've talked a lot on the women's side, at least, are those teams in their non-conference games looking to go out and schedule quality games? Um, so, so maybe their conference isn't, but there were a number of times on Wednesday's call that we looked at non-conference strength of schedule and, and are those coaches making those attempts to get some quality wins to help their resume? Interesting you bring that up because it's one of the follow-ups I want to get to. Well, let me get first to the quality wins versus uh, the other, com- you know, that metric. Great. You're looking at quality wins, but if six of those wins are, are tremendous, but they've got nine losses, are we looking at the losses? Are we looking at it and going, well, great, six quality wins, but four of those nine losses are not very good for a team who's supposedly good. Is the Are the losses being looked at in the same light as the quality wins? I would Give me say the absolutely. criteria for the bad loss criteria. What is that criteria? Oh, I don't know, because then I'll follow up. What's the criteria of the quality win? Granted, they're regionally ranked, but we just got done talking about the fact that some of those those regionally ranked wins might be really watered down. Yeah, we definitely got to compare them. One of the one of the struggles at times is it's difficult to know where to fit in a quote unquote bad loss um, because it doesn't fit into a direct criteria. It's not there. And so um, it, 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 we have to be careful when we start to arbitrarily claim somebody is a bad loss um, because that there are some that are clearly bad losses, but then there are others that, I mean, who's, who gets to decide what a bad loss is? Um, what is a bad loss? How is that determined? And so we definitely take some of that into consideration, but we've always got to be careful how much we do that. Because uh, it's an arbitrary discussion as to what a bad loss is. It's, it's not arbitrary to say this team is regionally ranked. We can debate how good the regionally ranked team is, but you're either regionally ranked or you're not. So uh, I will tell you in my, my four years, obviously one year we, we didn't do it, determining what to do with a bad loss is complicated. No, I, and I appreciate you saying that last part about the fact that we have the results versus regionally ranked. That is where the quality win conversation kind of comes into play. And I appreciate you don't want to say what is a bad loss. It's interesting. The data rewards the winning. It doesn't look at the entire resume per se. If, if we're getting that, that's something worth maybe looking into more. I'm not smart enough right now. Megan, you were going to say something before we cut you off. I was just going to say, like, I totally agree with what's who's to say what's a bad loss. And we even talked about it. There's so much subjectivity, especially in a year like this, where there's been quarantines and teams are coming off of one day of practice and have to play a game. Um, But I think we do without there being a criteria, at least in my experience, we also look at the resume of those losses. Um, Maybe six of those losses are coming to ranked teams. You know, that's, that's a little bit different than six losses coming to teams that aren't regionally ranked at all. Agreed. Yep. I appreciate it. I mean, it's, it's a complicated topic. We don't have enough time. I've already gone over. So I want to get to one other thing. We talk about the, the, the SOS, the non-conference SOS, two things, conferences control for some of them, a huge portion of that SOS number, which gives that opponent or that, that school very little wiggle room on the non-conference side to even make a reasonable attempt um, at improving that. But let me throw in the curveball this year. COVID's canceled games. It's postponed games. They can't make up games. Some teams have scheduled games against opponents that was going to benefit that non-conference SOS, and it didn't happen. We're in a year where some of those numbers are not telling the whole story. That's got to be an insane curveball 
to try and read into numbers and reward somebody for scheduling when you don't even know who they tried to schedule maybe in the first place. I think that's difficult anyways, right? Not only do some conferences have fewer opportunities to enhance that schedule, but there may be budgetary restrictions or travel restrictions or location things that all come into play for that. Um, I think, unfortunately, to make to make the decisions we need to make, we're, we're set by certain criteria. And, you know, if we get into all the subjective things, uh, their best student athlete being out for two weeks or, you know, whatever it is, we're, we're never, we never have the whole picture. Right. But if we didn't have a certain set of criteria to try to evenly and equally select teams across all the regions, uh, we'd need weeks to put together the tournament. Um, And I'll just say, you know, like, putting my administrator hat on from being a coach. Some of the things that I used to complain about as a coach, I would just like to, to say, be grateful that we're, we're ranking teams for a tournament, you know, like we're going to play this thing and what a great opportunity for our student athletes to finally get the opportunity to participate in a national tournament. I just think that's, that's gotta be the silver lining. The thing you think about. I can appreciate that. Sure. Mike, your thought real quick. Yeah, I agree with Megan that I think, uh, you know, one to, to celebrate it is, is uh, perfectly correct. And, and unfortunately, we have to go by the criteria. So if teams missed games because of COVID or couldn't make them up or had players that didn't play, they're missing starters, uh, those types of things, there's not much we can do with that. We simply have to make the decisions based upon the criteria we have before us and, and nothing else to the best of our ability. Because once we go down that road, there's no end to it. We're trying to figure out what value do we place on how, how important was that starter? We don't even, I mean, we're just going to stick to the criteria. It's unfortunate. It will, it will create some cumbersome moments, Dave. We're going to have teams that are going to have four, five, six game differences in terms of how many games they were able to play. And how we handle that is going to be uh, paramount. But it's going to be via the criteria. I mean, it's going to be, but but that's going to be an interesting uh, scenario that has not happened in previous years where teams have that big a gap between games played. Yeah, we've normally had gaps, but I'm definitely, we're going to have bigger gaps than Correct. we normally do. Uh, UAA plays 25, whereas another might play 29, but this is going to be bigger than that. Uh, quickly, have we heard about changing minimums to qualify for the tournament this year? D2 just passed it. That's why I ask. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, my understanding is, it, you know, it's still the 70%, but we're doing it based upon uh, 70% of intended games, if that makes sense. So we're not, we're, we're in essence, not going to hold anybody. Uh, we're going to take the resumes of what they've gotten, unless they were unable to play very many games at all. And we don't really have anybody that falls into that category. I think given where we're sitting now, Dave, uh, everybody I'm aware of that we are considering is going to get an ample number of games played. And we can get, we can certainly uh, have allowances made and stuff like that. Yeah. We're in pretty good shape. Grand scheme of things. Hey, listen, I took far more of your time. I'm running behind now and I really feel bad. Uh, we could talk more about this stuff. We can get into the nitty gritty, but we'll save that from another time. I really appreciate the time you gave us uh, the insight you provided as well. Uh, and the patience you gave me. Uh, we always give the final word to you all. So I'll start with Megan. Any final thoughts for those tuned in? 
just thank you so much for all you do for D3 Hoops. Um, and probably nothing more important than the panel you had before Mike and I and the opportunity uh, that you had before for those people to have a voice and for Gary to speak out. And I just thought it was awesome. So today's been a marathon of a great day. And we were probably just the ones that people took a lunch break for. <laughs> I haven't taken mine yet, but I appreciate that. <laughs> Mike, your thoughts. Yeah, well said, Megan. I've gotten to know Gary a little bit from some of our ABC stuff together, and I uh, just appreciate who he is. And uh, I've known Larry Anderson for a long time, back when I was at Gordon playing his MIT team. So uh, another good friend, and uh, just excited to be at this point, Dave. Right, that we're that we're starting to to grumble about regional rankings and and all that sort of stuff. It's fun to be uh, at this point. I'm, you know, I agree with Megan. I, it, every day, I kind of remind myself it's just great to be here on the verge of a tournament better than the conversations we were having a year ago. That's for sure. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for the time. Really, really appreciate it. I uh, look forward to talking to you guys down the road. We'll coordinate about how we uh, maybe chat before the, you guys get into the nitty gritty and after, but we'll cross that bridge later. Thanks again. Take care of yourselves. And we'll look forward to talking to you. Thanks Dave. We'll see Bye you guys. Again. Thanks. See ya. Megan Wilson, Mike shower joining us. I took up a lot more time than I planned, but I really, God, appreciate their insight. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're running behind, so we're going to have to shift some things around. Not necessarily move anybody off. We're just going to have to shift some things a little bit later. But coming up, we're going to have a great story about a student athlete at John Jay, who's also a volunteer and hopeful in the future career firefighter. Dan Kenny joins us, talks about how fighting a fire and playing a basketball game in 36 hours, no big deal to him, but it's certainly a big deal in my opinion. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com. Back with more after this. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us. To look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. 